This is Popular Front, a podcast focused on the very niche and kind of geeky details of modern warfare with me, Jake Hanrahan. Today we're speaking to Ed Calderon of Ed's Manifesto. Ed is, and I'm reading this from his text here, Ed is a non-permissive environment specialist with operational experience along the Mexican-American border. Basically, Ed is the go-to guy if you want to talk about the cartels or what I would call them narco militias now in Mexico. He's done years out there in the field. He knows exactly what he's talking about and he's always there on the ground researching, doing these courses, helping people. So Ed is going to tell us all about the new cartel and how they're kind of evolving into, like I said, narco militias. If you want to keep Popular Front moving forward, please do support us at patreon.com slash popular front. So, so Ed, I guess, uh, you know, like I said, you've explained it a lot on, on podcasts, but just for our listeners, maybe go into a little bit about your background because there are a lot of people that claim to be so-called experts on Mexico and you know, I've been looking at your work for a long time and I think, you know, you're the best person to have on here. But maybe you can explain to us why um, or at least, you know, what you've been doing, your background. First, uh, thank you for having me on. Uh, I've, I've worked in law enforcement in Mexico, northern Mexico specifically, uh, for 12 years. Uh, I worked for a very specific agency that dealt in um, counter-narcotics, um, organized crime investigations. Uh, and I worked with a, closely with a few people that were kind of key uh, at the start of the uh, the so-called Mexican drug war. Uh, among them, Lieutenant Colonel Lazola and uh, a uh, Governor Ozuna, uh, which was um, the Governor of Baja during some of the worst uh, violence that we kind of lived through in the Baja region. Um, that experience basically, you know, like I got to see things firsthand. I got to know how things operated at a high level and at a very low uh, on the street level. So I kind of got a good um, perspective on all that. Uh, kept a lot of notebooks, <laughs> took a lot of pictures, um, experienced things firsthand, um, and then kind of translated that into a format that I can show people how to stay safe in environments like that. And then a lot of the, um, a lot of the liaison work I did uh, back then with law enforcement on the U S side and even military on the U on the U S side uh, turned into me, you know, coming up there and showing them some of the stuff I kind of learned. So uh it's 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 been a weird ride <laughs> edge manifesto what would you what would you explain that as that's like uh kind of your journal into you know explaining this and teaching people and showing it or what yeah i mean it's uh, uh the whole joke started because uh, i went to coronado for a training uh thing with nsw and uh out of all the uh out of all the mexicans there i was the only one keeping notes in a in a moleskin uh, notebook <laughs> And uh, the guys told me like, "Hey, what's what are you writing in there?" And I'm like, uh, "Notes." And they're like, oh, "This guy, he's writing his little manifesto, basically, or something." And so everybody started, you know, Ed's manifesto. That's where I kind of came. <laughs> it originated. Right. Um, I thought it was like a terrorist manifesto, and it turned into basically a, a online kind of a field note diary. So. Anything I see of interest out there, I post on on as a manifesto. Anything I'm doing out there, I post on there. So it's basically like a 
like a open book uh, diary for people to kind of look into what I'm doing and uh, what I'm thinking about. Right. How often are you in Mexico at the moment when you're working? Uh, every, I mean, every every month usually. Uh, it's one of those funny things. I was talking to a friend of mine. Uh, I work for a few security companies, and uh, you know, I had to leave my job in Mexico because it was too dangerous. Move to the United States. And then realize that most of my expertise will is basically making me have to go back to Mexico <laughs> because that's what I'm good at, right? So uh, every 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 few months I have to go back down either for consulting, uh, security, or um, uh, training. Uh, right now I'm I'm actually going down there and doing a lot of uh, training for people. Right. So so you see it a lot. You know what's going on down there on the ground. Um, maybe you can explain what is actually happening because the last a lot of people have heard of like, you know, a lot of people still think um, like Los Zetas are still relevant and stuff like this. But, you know, it, it's changed a lot. Um, maybe you can explain to us what's the current situation with the cartels. So current situation that I see, you know, and this is uh, first off, just just uh, from what, my, what, I, what I base my opinion on or some of these things that I know. I actually got to train several generations of police officers uh, through some of the regional academies and also just by going out there and actually doing training directly for them. So people from uh, uh, federal police to federal investigation police to now what they call the Fiscalia, uh, the Gendarmes, which is was the predecessor of the uh, now uh, Guardia Nacional. So I, I have uh, ears and eyes and mouths everywhere. Um, and also, you know, got to deal with a lot of bad people too. And uh, some of these people also share some of the information. Um, so that's when, and I travel around and I kind of I have to keep my ears open to some of the, these types of these types of things. Now, mm. now more so as a member, uh, just basically a blogger, and I actually write for a few publications. So a lot of the stuff that I kind of have to keep my eye open, uh, ear open to, towards is news uh, related, right? Uh, that's what I base most of these these opinions on. So what's going on now in Mexico is, like always, you know, um, uh, there ha there has been a consistent effort for the past almost two decades to go after very specific cartels or cartel heads. Um, you mentioned the Zetas. Uh, the Zetas started off as a bodyguarding uh, group, uh, basically. Um, um, uh, OCL was the uh, leader of the Gulf Cartel and said, I want some kick-ass bodyguards. So he basically bought a whole special forces unit from Mexico. <laughs> Just bought one. Yeah. Uh, you know, uh, there's there's different stories. Uh, these guys are School of the Americas, a Green Beret trained. Uh, these guys were like legit, not like they are now. Uh, not now; it's for just a shadow of what they, what they used to be. But some of the original ones uh, were high-level dudes. I mean, high-level. So he basically bought a whole unit of uh, of uh, of SF guys. And they went to the armory, emptied out the armory, and drove out of a military base and never came back. Right. Um, the, the, they then, uh, after they the capture of OCL. Uh, and um, buy actual other SF units because they, they, they went after him hard. Um, they kind of splintered off and started their own cartel. Um, so that's a story throughout all Mexico. You go after one cartel, one cartel head, you hit it, and then it turns into two or three other ones. 
And um, when people think about or talk about the cartel in Mexico, they I, 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 some I, I think sometimes it comes up in, in in people's mind as a single unit or a single group of cartel, uh, a single criminal organization. But it's actually you know, it could be it could, it could number in in the uh, almost the hundreds of, of small tribes of armed criminal groups out there that that uh, that worked in, in in unison or in conjunction with other bigger organizations. Leadership right. is leadership is spread out through through these groups and uh, things like what's happening right now in Sonora and and, and Sinaloa kind of uh, kind of are a product of that kind of fragmentation and evolution of a cartels um it's not uh it's not like the colombian uh the colombian uh, model where it was escobar and he ran the the cartel there and it's just one head uh this is these are multiple small cells kind of um joining together in in, in agreements to control different regions so every time you hit a large cartel head all these smaller ones basically just fragment and Re- reorganize somewhere else under well, another banner. I keep hearing about this. Was it CGNG, like as being the kind of biggest or you know kind of most connected cartel? And when I see videos, they you know I, I keep thinking, oh, it's the military. And then I realize, like, oh no, that's them. That's the cartel. They're wearing like fatigues and you know body armor, and they got the best weapons. Like it's crazy. Yeah. So the 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 two major cartels right now in Mexico are the Sinaloa cartel and the Cartel de Jalisco de Nueva Generación, right? The New Generation Cartel, for short. Um, the New Generation Cartel is headed by a former Mexican cop, uh, Nemesio Oseguera Nemesio El Mencho. Um, uh, highly, uh, highly intelligent, highly sophisticated guy. Um, very experienced. He's actually been in U.S. custody a few times, which is pretty interesting. Um, but he, he basically went back down to Mexico and started, uh, his car his uh, rise to power. One of the interesting things about that cartel is their highly militarized kind of uh, way of doing things. Uh, they're not into, they're not very flashy, like the Sinaloa cartel. They're not about the, uh, the lifestyle basically. Not, not all, not all of them. Mm. Uh, they keep a lower profile, more militaristic in their, in their, in their ways. And they have, they run like training camps and stuff like that for people. Um, recruitment that they have, and this is from just hearing uh, from people. Uh, they go after high-level military guys, high-level, high tra- highly trained uh, police uh, from all over. That's kind of their mo. Um, and they have some legit kind of like they they call them like these these uh, death squads or uh, uh, elites, right? So they actually recruit high-level people out there and form these elite groups of basically you know cleaning crews they go into an area clean out the uh the existing cartels there and uh set up shop and security and that's that's how they've been kind of dominating slowly but surely been dominating a lot of a lot of mexico currently um well paid you know well uh highly organized well trained and uh they're in the u.s as well now so um it's a it's 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 basically going to be the 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 one that's going to probably dethrone Sinaloa probably in a few years as far as the main uh, dominating cartel in, in in the region. When I say the region, I mean all the way from the United States to 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 Mexico. Right, that's 
cartels uh, cartels don't respect the border. It's like people, hey, the cartels are a Mexican problem. No, no, it's not. It's uh, there's cartel presence in Chicago and L.A. and uh, Oklahoma out of all fucking places, right? So it's a regional thing. And are they at war with the Sinaloa cartel? Yes, they are. Um, I mean, they're 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 vying for for the same drug routes. Uh, two of the uh, the main battlegrounds you see for them right now is uh, Tijuana, uh, and uh, a lot of parts uh, a lot of parts in Sonora as well. Uh, basically, they're buy- they're fighting for the control of some of the richest drug routes into the United States. Um, uh, and you see new generation cartel coming into places like Tijuana and and allying themselves with older cartels there. Like the uh, almost extinct uh, Ariano Felix cartel, which was a very big cartel in Tijuana and and basically on, the, on all, all Baja, uh, they came in and basically allied themselves with some of those old cartel interests, and then uh, Sinaloa came in and started trying to push push its way through. So Tijuana's a pretty interesting place in that regard, as as far as a battlefront. It's uh cataloged as one of the most dangerous cities on the planet for murders but it's an, it's it you'd be surprised you come here you come you come to tj and it's it's uh it's not a war zone um it's not a war zone but if you move east of the city it turns into one pretty quickly and sometimes in some points of the night it's basically seeing the law cartel killing off some of the the new generation or Ariana Felix cartel members, uh, both people that are buying, distributing, uh, people that are moving drugs across the border, and then the other guys basically just responding with more murders. So they're killing each other off basically during the night and during the day, and it's it's a pretty interesting, weird kind of uh, war under lying underneath the surface of a very bustling metropolitan city like Tijuana. Yeah. Um. And what do you make of this uh, this recent thing where Trump has come out and said he's going to designate the cartels as a terrorist organization? Um, I saw you saying online like it's not going to happen, and then it, and then he already backtracked. Um, what do we, what's going on with that? Well, uh, you know the, that designation would mean a lot of things. Uh, basically, anything funding it, funding cartel activities, uh, anything related to cartel activities, supporting cartel activities would be basically, you know. The United States wouldn't need permission from the the uh, from Mexico to come in and intervene directly. That's that's what it would mean in the long run. Um, I I didn't think that's gonna be that's that was gonna be a possibility in my in in, uh, in my opinion, and I predicted it. I predicted he was gonna he was gonna try, and then I predicted he was gonna walk it back, basically as a way of uh, gaining leverage with the with the government. Um, it's something that's been that's been in talks for a while. Um, one reason why I think that was not going to happen is because of how the immigration system works. Uh, if that designation went through, basically now most of the people that are vying for visas or for green cards, for uh, green cards, I mean, or refugee status, would now have them uh, fleeing from terrorist organizations as a claim in their immigration process. So. <laughs> That's but, one thing that that a lot I've not seen anybody talk uh, publicly about that, but that would be a thing. That's one factor that I don't I, I've not seen a lot of people talk about, but it's uh, it's a very interesting one. 
Um, another one would basically be that human humanitarian crisis. I mean, you know, there's a lot of people that watch a lot of Call of Duty and, uh, you know, played uh, Wildlands or whatever. And um, they think that a drone, uh, that sending in drones and special forces into Mexico to take out the cartels is going to be, you know, easy, right? Well, counterinsurgency operations haven't worked that well in recent years uh, for the United States. And you talk about doing some of that stuff in Mexico, next, just basically next door to them. And I don't think they, they realize how not easy that's going to be. Uh, just uh, talking specifically about Mexico, some parts of Mexico are actually very first world. You know, a lot of people like to talk about Mexico as a third world country. Um, there's a lot of, there's a lot of places that are very much metropolitan. Uh, we have the largest population of Americans living outside of the United States in Mexico as well. So there's a lot of Americans intermingled with the Mexicans uh, down here. Technology's everywhere. So there's going to be a lot of cameras everywhere. People are going to film everything. One wrong drone strike in a place where it shouldn't be. I mean, it's going to be, this. If, if they do do it, it's going to be a war. It's going to be televised and live like nowhere else. I mean... I know Syria has had some interesting videos come out of it and stuff like that and in Iraq, but down here, everybody has a, a smartphone, a good smartphone. Uh, so I don't, I don't think that's going to that would be a popular uh, war in any, in any regards uh, for any expanded, uh, for any, uh, for any prolonged amount of time. Uh, and also basically they, a lot of Americans have this image of cartel guys hiding in the mountains that is one factor that they do, but they are also inter, inter intermingle and disperse in the cities. There's no way you and they don't wear uniforms and they they do ride around in technicals. Uh, a few hits on those technicals and they'll disperse. Um, you know they have ways of, of of intermingling. I'm not saying that they're they're impossible or hard to get. I'm just saying it's not going to be as easy as some people are selling the whole. Well, just send the seals in and they're gonna you know do whatever they do. It's just not going to be that easy. Yeah. I mean, we saw, uh, what was it, like two weeks ago where um, uh, El Chapo's son got, like, arrested and then all the cartels just descended and they ended up, you know, chasing off the military. Like, you know, I, I can't see it going well for them if they, you know, even the American military, like, you know, these guys are armed to the teeth, right? Yeah, well, the when the uh, so what happened in Sinaloa was pretty interesting. Uh, a, a special police unit from the from the from the uh, a, a special police unit from the from the federal police went into went into Sinaloa. They were a reconnaissance unit, and they saw some activity at a place that was known to be a cartel hangout. They went in there and lo and behold, they found one of, one of El Chapo's kids. Um, the government says that they were, they were onto him, but it's realistically, it was not the case. They, they were completely surprised by it. Um, they, uh, they, they didn't know, they didn't know who, who he, uh, who he was. And then, his the videos the head cam videos that they were filming of him went back to mexico city and they were like oh shit we have el chapo's kid and you can see the immediate change of of their aggression when they when you see the capture because the video of the capture is actually online and you can see how they started not you know not uh pushing that much on him i don't know if that makes sense they realized who they had right they scared him yeah, yeah. I mean, they they realize that if they you know punch him in the face or something like that, 
their families are going to be found and killed, right? Yeah. Which is something that actually happened later on. A lot of the people involved in that capture have been targeted, and a few of them actually have been executed after a lot of the cops that were police on officers. that. Yeah. So anyways, they captured him. They moved him to a secure federal building in Sinaloa, and the call went out, and all the cartel cells that belonged to Sinaloa basically took the city. Right? They came in, technicals, armed people, blocked off the roads, which is a classic cartel thing. They blocked off all the roads. Uh, and uh, they sent a whole group of cartel guys to go into some of the uh, cartel, uh, some of the military families' uh, houses and uh, took them hostage, basically. Took some of the military families' hostages hostage. Jesus. And, uh, and um, eventually... Eventually, the uh, the military they went in there under orders from the federal government to basically recover their guys. Uh, said, you know what, we're not in this fight, so nobody wanted to do anything basically after that happened. And you can see some videos of the cartel guys uh, shaking hands with the military, and that was that was what that was about. Basically, the military told the cartel guys, we're not in this fight, so we're we're just gonna sit this one out. Basically, that's exactly what happened. The federal government said that they let him go because they didn't want any more violence and they didn't want to risk the safety of the Sinaloa civilians, uh, people in Sinaloa. Uh, realistically, the Sinaloa civilians were on the cartel side, and the cartel guys rescued El Chapo's kid without the say-so of the federal government. They just took him back. But people were saying that all the cartels, you know, different cartels were coming together to do that. Is, is that correct or, or not? Uh, so Sinaloa cartel is basically a group. Uh, it's it's a, a, a bunch of uh, small cartels linked together. Right? Oh, okay. Under 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 some uh, very specifically, it's like a federation basically. Mm. So what happened is that a lot of the loyal loyal uh, groups around Sinaloa and, and around the Sinaloa cartel basically, from hours away, just drove to to Culiacan and and surround the city. So the message that gives to Mexicans is that the cartels are literally more powerful than the military, no? And, and so th this is the th I think. Uh, the cartels own some parts of Mexico. That's 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 beyond a doubt. So there's some cities and some places where the cartel is the owner of the city and the and the region. There is no law because it's their place, right? So that's what happens. And uh, so Mexico isn't isn't in control of their whole country. That's 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 the the truth, right? And uh, it just uh, it has no way of gaining control over the country because all it all it knows how to do. And all, well, there have been a few successes in Mexico as far as counter cartel operations directed and performed by Mexicans. And there has been a few people out there that have done good work. But most of those people have been afterward after they did their jobs, they were vilified and and, um, you know, basically pushed away out, out of the, the out of government work. Uh, but what you see now is basically, so the current president of Mexico is a leftist guy, um, have vilified the conservative, his conservative opponent, uh, the, the, that beat him, uh, like six years back, uh, that started the drug war, Felipe Calderon, he vilified the guy, right? And he said, well, how are you going to use the military to fight the cartels? That's anti-constitutional. You shouldn't do that. No, the civilians should be in charge of policing in Mexico, not the military, blah, blah, blah. 
uh, cut forward six years. Uh, he w- went out of office. So we had another president, and then he, and then this uh, president Amlo left as president, came in. The first thing he did was basically militarize police. So, and and the problem is the military in Mexico. You know, we have some SF guys and stuff like that, but they're not equipped, they're not experienced, and they don't know what the fuck they're doing when it comes to counter cartel operations. It's just not. It's just not the case. Right, and a lot of the police are corrupt, right? Like, so surely militarizing yeah. the police is actually going to help the cartels, not? Well, uh, <clears throat> there's there there were efforts to clean up uh, police forces in Mexico, and uh, like I'm I'm an example of what that looked like. Uh, uh, they were looking for you know uh, educated uh, middle class Mexicans with language skills with an education they wanted to turn it into a career so that's what i was kind of pulled into right and it was great you know that uh, some of the 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 successes in that drug war the only successes in that drug war were from the regions that i that that the group that i was in worked in um and uh i i, I was the subject to uh polygraph exams not just here in mexico but also in the u.s uh, was the subject of uh, you know house visits, surprise house visits. They would come to our house to see if we didn't have any new flat screen TVs and shit like that. <laughs> uh, but we we I mean I gladly went through all these exams. They would call them the C three exams, right? So we went through all these exams, and eventually somebody sued the federal government for being uh, let go of the job because he failed some of these exams. Uh, and they were declared unconstitutional and inhumane. So now all these exams were thrown out, and now who knows who the fuck you're working with? And that's exactly why I left the job. You know. Um, so a lot. Of, so basically, a lot of solutions have, have have been done, and but they come with a political tint to them. So the conservative party puts forth a plan to professionalize police forces in Mexico, but they're conservative and fuck those guys. We're leftists, so that shit is unconstitutional, wrong. Let's just get that out of the way. Let's start over and do exactly the same thing they did. <laughs> it's the uh, it's the feathered snake biting its cell. Um, uh, amnesia. Every six years, new president and solutions that have already been tried and done get done again. And all of the experienced guys get pushed out and new guys come in thinking that they can reinvent the wheel and that's what usually what happens right um we were talking yesterday uh, briefly about this situation where basically a whole family i think they're mormons got murdered uh in mexico you know cartel related i think what was that about because that was quite recent and the only place i saw any news in it was actually from your instagram so um you know can you explain what was that uh so th- that's an interesting thing uh I, I, I'm in contact with some of the family. And uh, when that happened, uh, basically some of them reached out to me and was like, we're not seeing any of this in U.S. Uh, media. Can you <laughs> like and this? This is like this is this is one of those surreal moments. Right. I've had a few. Uh, but they asked me to post it on my media, on my uh, Instagram account. So I did. And it, you know, a few hours later, it started going, it started showing up in national news. Mm. Which, it w- you know, and it, it would have anyways, I know, but uh, I, I got some details about it before it went, you know, crazy. Um, so they were in Sonora 
they were on their way to a, a family get together. Uh, there's a lot of a lot of these uh, Mormon communities in the in in, in that uh, region of Mexico. The, basically, most of them them are dual citizens. Dual citizens. They have Mexican citizenship and U.S. citizenship. Um, they uh, they branched off uh, the traditional Mormonism in Utah and settled in Mexico. Um, some of the same communities where Mitt Romney's uh, <laughs> father is from, right? So it's it's a pretty interesting place, and it's a pretty interesting group of people. Uh, I've met some of them um, under some you know some interesting situations uh, way back when. Uh, personally, I, I think they're great people. There's a lot of uh, rumors and false information spread about them, um, and mostly in the, on the U.S. side from other uh, from Mormons on that side, which uh, probably still hold some grudges over them, probably. Uh, but uh, I've heard everything from they they're cartel guys too, or they work for the cartels. All oh, that's fucking bullshit, you know. Mm. Um, so they run some amazing communities uh, in in Mexico. They look like fucking oases in the middle of the desert. And there's a lot of families of families that live in and around those communities that are not just Mormons uh, or just white people. They're also Mexicans. So they're, they 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 uh, in in that regard, you know, just want to spread uh, put my opinion about them out there. They're, they're not. There's a lot of horrible shit being said about them, which is not true. Um, uh, a few, a few of the, of their, you know, families, uh, including basically a lot of women and children, um, we're, we're driving down a dirt road in a very bad part of uh, Sonora in some SUVs and they got shot up by apparently some cartel members, uh, that, uh, confused them with, uh, rival cartel members. The thing is that they were drive they were they were rolling around in tinted SUVs, uh, so, uh, tinted window SUVs in an area where the only people that use those types of cars are the government and the cartels. Um, so there's a few prevailing theories out there. One of them that it was a targeted hit that they were after them. And one of them is that they that uh, it was in revenge, you know, for some some sort of uh, thing in the past. Um, who knows? Uh, I, I buy into the whole because I've heard the same theory from both people close to the family to some of the people that investigated that thing. The first, some of the first guys on scene, uh, some cops from Sonora that I know, and also some of the underworld guys uh, that I, I that I that I that I get to read and 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 watch online. Um, it was it was a case of mistaken identity, right? Um, they drove down, they drove they drove down this road, uh, took a wrong turn, and if you see this road, it's pretty shitty. Uh, you're like, why the hell are you driving down this road? And uh, when they realized who they had shot, uh, uh, they decided to burn the vehicle. That's why one of the vehicles is completely burned. Um, and uh, when the other vehicles arrived. Uh, behind them, uh, they shot those two. Um, it was a case of mistaken identity. As far as I'm concerned, see, um, and all the information I've seen, it looks like that, right? Um, interestingly enough, that uh, area where they were at is controlled by a very small cartel group uh, called Los Salazar. Um, it's run by a guy, Don... Uh, Don Adan, they call him. Um, 
old cartel uh, group in the region, kind of a cell, basically. It's an independent cell that works uh, under the Sinaloa cartel banner. Um, that's one of their main uh, drug routes and, and control visit point, points. Uh, so they were just guarding their area, basically. And there's a lot of theories out there, but just from all the people that I've talked to, uh, that is what I think probably happened. Um, but then, you know, where it happened is a very, very interesting region. Sonora right now is a very interesting region. Um, so there's been a lot of, you know, conspiracy theories and, and things put forth because of uh, how it happened and what happened there. Uh, just on, 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 on what happened, just the specific act. Um, AK-47s, uh, AK-47s, 50 cal rounds, and 223 ARs were used. I think some 45 rounds were found also in the in the area. 50 cal. That's that's big gun. That's a that's a big gun, but very common, very yeah. common in Mexico. Uh, very common in Mexico. Uh, a lot of them product of the Fast and the Furious uh, debacle. Uh, a lot of them basically walked across the border back then yeah can you explain that I've, i remember reading a lot about that like back in the day but i was really young when that happened um you know what, what was the fast and the furious situation well i'll I'll, uh, I'll explain it from um from my point of view because i actually got to find some of those guns and was shot at <laughs> with some of those guns and some of my Jesus. friends were killed with some of the some of my friends were killed with some of those guns so i'll talk about it in that regard um mm. Uh, Obama administration uh, uh, official Eric Holder um, working with uh, the ATF um, continued on with an operation that was probably started uh, back in the Bush administration era uh, that was tracking cartel guns, basically. They wanted to see where some of the guns that were being trafficked from the U.S. into Mexico, where they were heading, where they were showing up, so they wanted to track them somehow. Uh, this is what they said, right? And um, well, I, but basically, those guns came into Mexico, and 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 uh, there's there's no tracking chips on them. They just you know dispersed out there, right? Um, so a lot of these guns basically started showing up in the hands of the Sinaloa cartel. When I say a lot of them, most of them, you know. Very specific types of guns, uh, FN57s, high-velocity round that can go through soft body armor, <coughs> uh, 50 cals, because a lot of our groups uh, started using armored vehicles, so they wanted to penetrate armored vehicles. Uh, AR-15s of all sorts and kinds, and uh, American semi-auto uh, AK-47s that were then modified in Mexico to go full auto, just like the ARs. Mm. Um, so a lot of weird guns like that, and you could tell they were American because of all the weird uh, accessories they had on them, like Magpul Dynamics um, stuff on them, uh, the uh, Vortex sights, uh, you name all all of the classic American uh, gun culture stuff. Operator type stuff. Yeah, even some of them had like Punisher logos, Laser Non, or uh, Buy Felicia type shit on them. You know, whatever. <laughs> yeah. Um, so all these things start showing up here in, in Mexico. I mean, we don't we we already seen guns like that, but not at that amount. So um, you know, uh, we didn't learn about that till I saw it on the. I, I mean, I I, didn't, I never got a briefing on any of that till I saw it on the news. 
when one of those guns was actually used in Mexico to kill a, a federal uh, agent, uh, a U.S. federal agent in Mexico. Um, but, um, you know, cut forward a bit and uh, somewhere in Baham, uh, um, uh, a guy that I work with was coming uh, out of his house to go on the town with his family and him and his wife were shot with uh, two FN 5.7 pistols and and their daughter, was, which was in the backseat, lost her arm. Jesus. Right? And uh, the pistols themselves were pretty interesting. As soon as we kind of took them in, a lot of attention on the U.S. side uh, was put on them, so... We kind of figured something was up, and every time we would find some of those guns, uh, they would show up on a database uh, that the, that we would share it on, and they were going to get flagged. So, um, basically, basically, it was an ill-fated um, p- uh, plan to track some of these guns down here. That's what they say it was uh, to most people that would look at it from afar. It was, I mean, I don't know. That's what you do to destabilize a region. You pumping guns to the region uh, to <laughs> destabilize it. Why would the uh, Why would the U.S. do it at that time? Uh, I don't know. Um, you know, uh, yeah, it's it's uh, arming a single cartel in in Mexico. You know, might make sense uh, uh, in the long run. Maybe you just want to worry about a single cartel. You want to worry about a single cartel group, not uh, not a lot of them. So you want a dominating force maybe down here. I don't know. That's a theory. Um, another one would be, you know, because there's something interesting or valuable in northern Mexico that you want to have control over in the future, <laughs> which is something we, we well, that I'm going to talk about in a bit. Um, who knows? I mean, there's a lot of theories out there. Uh, uh, back then, I had I had a lot of years uh, uh, out there when it comes to high-level government and military in Mexico. And I, I would hear rumblings of them worried about a, an armed intervention in Mexico even uh, by the U.S. even back then, you know. And apart from that, where else are they getting weapons from? Because I've seen some mad weapons on these videos. <laughs> like, they've got a lot of equipment. Gun running has been a thing for a long time. So people have been stockpiling guns in Mexico that come from the U.S. for a while. Uh, there's even a case of somebody, a group trying to smuggle uh, a few mini guns into Mexico that was like a few years back, right? And I know for a fact there's at least two or three of them out there somewhere in cartel hands. Um, but uh, there's uh, there's this um, basically Mexico is a very interesting place because it's surrounded by ocean on two sides. Uh, it's connected to South America and to North America. Uh, so a lot of the guns actually come from South America, uh, uh, late, uh, eighties, early nineties, uh, cold war era stuff, military grade stuff that the U S would sell to people down in South America to arm a few regimes It's making its way now up to Mexico. So a lot of the military grade stuff you see on top of, uh, on top of some of these technicals that you see out there rolling around, especially in the whole Sinaloa event actually come from that uh come from south america american made sold to the south american governments and now are being brought up uh, and also you see a lot of weird soviet uh block stuff coming in from uh from in shipping uh and shipping containers and stuff like that from really the middle, yeah from middle east uh from north, north, uh, north africa and 
now an interesting thing you're seeing now as well is Chinese uh, Chinese uh, military type level equipment from uh, night vision to uh, weird uh, single single uh, round grenade launchers uh, apparently just made their ways to Mexican shores right um, so it's it, it, it's from all over basically. What's the situation with the with the Sinaloa cartel now? Because after Chapo was arrested, um, I was reading something where someone was predicting they were going to fall apart, and obviously they didn't. Um, how are they running all that now? Uh, well, the, that's that's the thing. They kind of they, they realize that leadership, public leadership, is not a not a good thing to have out there. Most most people think that uh, El Mayo Sambada, which is um, was basically El Chapo's not right hand man, but he was actually his. Oh, his contemporary he was he was at his level basically as far as leadership in Sinaloa. El Mayo Zambada has taken leadership of the Sinaloa cartel is what most people uh, think. Um, he is an El Chapo like figure, but not as open. The very uh, low profile, very smart. Uh, uh, he's a remnant of the like the beginnings of these uh, cartel groups uh, in the eighties. Uh, so he's a pretty interesting, uh, he's a pretty interesting character and he is one of a few people that are heading up the, uh, cart the major cartel cells, uh, uh, out there. Some of them like, uh, El Chapo's two sons uh, apparently are also heading up another one. Uh, so there's a lot of, basically all they did was just, uh, continue on with their father's work. Um, nothing has changed. The cartel hasn't gotten smaller. Mm. Their area, their areas of dominance have gotten smaller. Uh, they used to run, you know, controls, uh, uh, control segments of southern Mexico and central Mexico. That's kind of been kind of going, uh, going away as new generation cartel kind of pushes its way through to central Mexico and northern Mexico. So it's, uh, <clears throat> it's it hasn't uh, destroyed the Sinaloa cartel at, in the least, and leadership is basically just you know just switch hands a little bit. Right, and why are they at war? Is it just simply because um, you know how much land they can control and it's more money, or is there something else going on with uh, New Generation and Sinaloa? So uh, the U.S. is on the verge of legalizing marijuana at a federal right. level, and it's already legalized marijuana in some key drug markets. And when I say drug markets, I mean you know cartel drug markets. Mm. Um, so when uh, California legalized pot. Um, uh, <clears throat> that was one of the largest uh, mark drug markets uh, for Sinaloa uh, and for cartels in Mexico in general. So when that happened, basically they, now they had a giant crop of marijuana that was not as valuable as it used to be. Uh. So their solution to it was basically sending people to the U.S. to grow pot illegally in public lands on the U.S. side. So you now you curtail the whole smuggling the drugs into 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 the U.S. That was one of their solutions, and the other one was uh, to cut down all the marijuana and then grow uh, heroin, uh, poppy fields, instead of uh, marijuana. In Mexico. In Mexico, so a lot of the hillsides that were covered in weed are now covered in poppy fields. Uh, they quickly found out that some of the, the that the strain or the way that they're making the heroin isn't as strong as some of the stuff you find other places in the world. Uh, so they were like, "Well, how can we make our shit better? Fentanyl. Let's put fentanyl in it, Ugh. right?" 
And um, Mexico has a long-standing relationship with uh, drug labs in China. So all the precursors and stuff like that are easily sourced uh, in Mexico. And actually, fentanyl is actually being has been and is being produced in Mexico as well, and clandestinely. So mm -hmm. uh, they just switched. They just switched uh, from. They just switched products. That's why you saw a sudden. Uh, a, a parallel spike between marijuana legalization in California and a heroin fentanyl epidemic across the country. Right, and so Sinaloa and New Generation are fighting over the control of that now instead. Yeah, they're fighting over the control of ports. So New Generation Cartel uh, controls uh, a lot of the ports in western central Mexico, which where a lot of the stuff lands. When I say stuff, I mean a lot of the precursors. Mm meth precursors, fentanyl, that, that's where that lands. Uh, they, they're also fighting for some of the uh, soil-rich uh, country in Michoacan, where a lot of the best uh, poppy fields are in Mexico, right? <clears throat> so they're fighting for control over production, uh, precursor uh, introduction into Mexico, and a lot of the drug routes up into the U.S., uh, Seen Law was smart in that they basically said, you know, fuck it, we'll just go to the U.S. and grow marijuana illegally in the fucking public lands. Uh, there's a book out by John Norris uh, uh, that talks about it. Uh, I highly recommend people pick it up. Uh, I can't rem remember the name of, of top of my head, but it's a pretty good uh, book. John Norris, he's on Instagram. Uh, where he talks, he was a uh, he was an SF guy, and he was uh, he worked in uh, policing public lands, and he got to deal with a lot of that stuff directly. And he's somebody that I've been kind of trading information with for a while now, and it's pretty interesting seeing how, you know, we both got to experience that shift in 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 in, uh, in, car in cartel methodologies as far as growing and 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 distribution as far as marijuana goes. Um, in, and uh, in the U.S., and I was experiencing the same thing down south. Hidden War is the name of the book by uh, Lieutenant John Norris. Check it out if you want. It's a pretty good book. So the her heroin is the main their main product now. Would you say it's it's one of them? You know, cocaine right. of course is still a thing. <laughs> cocaine is still being uh, trafficked. As far as money making things, uh, cocaine, uh, meth. Heroin, uh, her uh, her uh, her uh, fentanyl laced heroin, marijuana is still being trafficked for some re weird reason, which uh, I think is going to probably go completely dead after federal uh, legalization on the U.S. side. But also, uh, human trafficking. Some of these cartels actually make more off human trafficking than 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 actual her than um, drug trafficking. Well, pe so people trying to migrate, you mean? Yeah, uh, so they they run they run uh, they run tra human trafficking rings, and you know depending on where you are and who you're talking to, uh, could be uh, could be five thousand uh, dollars for a coyote to cross you into the U.S. with no guarantees. Could be eight thousand, you know, could be more. Um, so some of these uh, some of these uh, people get crossed once and then then get kicked back and or get caught and then they go back again. So that's 
one person is going to earn you, I mean, $8,000 per trip. And what are they oh, doing right. for them for that 8000 Uh They're guiding them through the border uh, into a safe house in the U.S. And then the safe house in the U.S. is basically they get uh, driven towards wherever they need to be driven towards. Mm. A lot of this is actually paid by their by you already immigrated or already or, or people already in the U.S. So they pay for their family members to come up. Why right, so the cartels? Exactly. They hire they hire cartel coyotes to to bring their their family up. That's a giant business. Uh, mm-hmm. I mean, they make more. They, the cartels legitimately make it makes more economic sense to move a person than than drugs. A single person, yeah, a single person will earn you eight thousand dollars, fifteen thousand dollars, depending on how many times you cross them. Um, and. Uh, the whole uh, the whole wall being built up and stuff like that basically drives prices up, uh, but the wall is porous anyways. People are still getting across, even even in the areas where the wall is highly built up. People are still getting across, and it's it's only kind of giving the illusion in some places of the 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 wall being impenetrable and making cost go up, right? So this coyote I talked to for an interview I did for Skillset magazine. He was he would I told asked him about the border wall. I told him like, what do you think about the border wall? Says, well, gives me an excuse to raise prices, but people are still getting across. It helps it helps his business to make it seem like it's harder to cross when it's actually not. And he said and and he said, well, if if they truly want a if they truly want no open borders. Uh, then they're going to have to build a wall on, on the Canada side as well, because most people that are smart enough will just get a passport, uh, Mexican passport, fly to Canada and walk down, which is what most people are doing now. I recently posted a video of uh, one of the uh, one of the door uh, a cart uh, a, a group of coyotes uh, cutting into the border fence and having this weird little kind of hidden door there. Yeah, was that real? Like it's on hinges. That was real. Uh, Telemundo did a report on it like a day after uh, that I posted it up. A friend of mine that works for them asked me about it. Like, is that real? Like, I think it is. And he was actually talking to somebody on the on the U.S. side that worked for the Border Patrol, and they went over and, and sealed it. So what they do? They just cut into the fence and put hinges on it, basically. Yeah, they make a hidden little flat door. Um, also, there's a, this the new border wall itself, uh, rope. A rock, rope, a rock, a rope ladder. I mean, um, it's not hard to jump. Human ingenuity will always find a way as well, I think. Yes. And they have to realize that a lot of the people that made that border wall were Mexicans. (laughs) So we could could probably, you know, tear it down. Um, I, 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 I I I get the need for a wall. Don't, 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 uh, don't get me wrong on that. You know, if people have fences outside their house, People have doors on their houses, and and they want to control the flow of immigration. You know, every, every country country has their rights to do that. You know, don't don't get me wrong on that end. Uh, what I don't agree with is the wall being sold as a security feature. All it does is limit the amount of people that cross that border illegally. Um, and, but drugs have been going underneath it, over it, around it for years even in the places where the wall has been built up the most and security is at the highest is where most of the drug tunnels are. <laughs> uh, there's a picture of me uh, in uh, near the entrance of one, right. Uh, that I post up every now and then um, the there's a, 
you know, drug tunnels have been a thing throughout the border for a while. How, how big are they? Can you take a car in them? I guess you can. There's a video out there. Uh, somebody somewhere posted of a truck driving through one. <laughs> My God. How do they right. dig them? Like they have JCBs. They have what? They hire a building crew. Uh, I've heard estimates of uh, of them uh, being built for in two years and two million dollars being uh, spent on some of them. So, Jeez. a lot of the people that are making them are basically people from the mining industry, silver mining industry in Mexico that then you know go to work for the cartels. Uh, right. Some of the same mining engineers that that make some of these tunnels on the border are the same ones that dug the tunnel where El Chapo escaped from that prison. <laughs> uh, <laughs> okay. Um, I just want to go back talking a little bit about the new generation cartel because um, I was reading about them last night. Um, from what you've seen, what do you think has made them so successful? Because they've really risen up, you know what I mean? And they're, like you said, they're like one of two big ones. How are they so good, basically? Leadership, uh, their leadership, uh, the guy the guy that runs them, uh, Nemesio, he's, 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 he's kept a tight control and firm grip on, on, on how it, how it operates. So, uh, he's a smart guy, you know, he has a highly experienced, uh, he was, he was a former cop. Uh, he realized early on that recruitment was a thing. So like a lot of the people that I used to work with that were out of the job after this whole, uh, regime change in Mexico and a lot of those people that, that didn't have the opportunity opportunities that I had basically went to work for the cartels and one of the cartels I went to work for was his right and some of these guys are really high, highly trained individuals that have language skills like I do um, and they're great people <laughs> for what they do mm. and a lot, a lot of those a lot of the, that's the type of people that he recruits actively right so uh, that's one of the reasons why his cartel has been kind of going up into into the roof. They're not into the whole cartel uh, culture lifestyle like the Sinaloa cartels are, so they're not about showing off. They're just a different breed. They're more, they're more, they're a bit more colder, more more, more militaristic, uh, more driven. So in their images, they all look like insurgents. You know what I mean? They've got military stuff, yeah. balaclavas. You know, um, does he run it like that? Do you know anything about the kind of structure? Yeah, uh, well, they, uh, he he runs it. Uh, they're they're basically independent cells. Uh, so, uh, let's say you and me wanted to start. Uh, a, I wanted to start a cartel like him, so I would hire you to. to I would hire you to be my head, or my cell head. I would only talk to you, and um, you would then get a lot of money to pay your guys and get a lot of weapons to arm them, and you would operate independently from me in the region where you were tasked to operate in. And if something happened to you as a head, then that cell would immediately just, you know, be disbanded. And then I would pay somebody else to start another one. Right. And then I uh, guess they give kickbacks to the, you know, the cell that they were, or, or at least the main kind of HQ. Exactly. So there's a single, single uh, leadership head that basically pays and arms these cells around, around him. And if something happens to one cell, it will be replaced by another. Uh, they also base. They also have a lot of networking where they they have this these whole groups of people that are just there to pay off cops. They're there they're to pay off the military. They're again independent of the other cells. So they're just uh, they just communicate with the leadership. Um, they have hearts and minds operations where basically they they police some of the regions where they control. 
So if something happens in my little town where the new generation cartel controls the area, I'm not going to call the cops. I call them, you know. So the townspeople immediately, you know, but it's interesting, like, uh, you know, petty crime drops to the floor <laughs> in the areas where these guys control. It's the same when ISIS are around, you know, <laughs> it's the same kind of thing. Yeah. It's, it's, it's actually, you know, there's a lot of parallels. Do they still do that grisly shit? You know, like I remember in school, you know, I don't know why, but we'd always be like, look at cartel murders, you know, like horrible shit you do. Like, do they yeah, still yeah. do that nastiness, like dropping heads off of bridges and shit? Yeah, they do. Uh, the first interactions I had with Americans uh, when I was working in law enforcement uh, down, in down in Mexico was they were curious about the traffic that the Middle East uh, was getting as far as them v viewing some of the cartel videos, right? That, that was 2004, 2005 era. Mm -hmm. So, and then ISIS came up and they were doing exactly kind of the same tactics as far as weaponizing social media and some of these horrible videos. Uh, they were showing they're, 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 some of these horrible videos were showing up and in, 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 on social media being weaponized, and you know that's where they kind of got the ideas from. You know, cartels were using you know, psychological video warfare on social media you know, way back when. Uh, they still do it. Uh, it's a it's just a way of, of instilling terror, basically. The cartels have beheaded way more people than ISIS could dream of. Yeah, well, the, 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 that's uh, I, I get into these, these, these conversations a lot. People ask me, like, Ed, what do you think about uh, cartels being designated as terrorists? Well, they are terrorists to most of the people that they've affected in Mexico. There are families that have been decimated by some of these groups. There are fathers and mothers that are looking for their daughters still after years after a cartel band came into their town. Said your daughter's pretty. Picked her up, and you, they wouldn't. They they never saw her again. Right. So if you don't think that's terrorism, well, then I don't know what is. Also, people say, well, they don't have a, a clear political objective. Well, then why do cartels kill political candidates all over Mexico? Or why do they pay for certain political candidates' uh, um, uh, campaigns? Right. If that if that is not a clear sign of them having actual political ambitions or objectives, then again, I have no idea what to tell people. Even if they didn't have a political thing, it's still narco terrorism. No, I mean that's what Escobar was about. Yeah, exactly. You know, uh, and uh, I don't know. Um, personally, I see. I don't. I don't. I don't think this administration is going to do that. That designation. Uh, you know, um, a lot of Mex a lot of, a lot of my fellow Mexicans kind of talk shit about me when I posted up the, the Mormon massacre thing. And they're like, what about all the Mexicans that died? Like, what about them? Are they not, uh, important enough? And I was like, yeah, they are. And I post about, you know, killings all the time. Like I yeah. posted about a, uh, I recently posted about a massacre in Monterey. Um, uh, 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 they, they burned a, a a casino with 50 Mexicans in it, you know, in, in Monterrey. Um, Why? Because it was cartel guys and it was a rival casino, so they burned it with all the people inside, right? Fuck. And and if and but I I tell Mexicans this like Americans were shocked by these this murder because it was a bunch of uh, a, a bunch of american mexican nationals uh with uh, dual citizenship but it was also women and children and they were yeah. also white that's what shocked americans about it right and 
and as Mexicans, we have lost the ability to be shocked. We have lost it. It's just, it's just we don't we don't get shocked anymore. Right. So much has happened. So much that this whole Sinaloa thing, you know, imagine that happening in a U.S. city. You know, we've lost the ability to be shocked as Mexicans. So uh, people ask me, like, what will it take for the Mexicans to rise up and fight against this? And I think we've lost the ability to do that. This is normal for us. This is our normal. Right. Well, what about them? I've read a little bit about the auto defense where it's, um, you know, like civilians trying to fight back against them. But to me, it just seems, you know, I, I really respect them for it. And I think that's incredible. But it's like you're fighting a losing battle massively there, surely. Yeah, well, there's been a few documentaries about them and stuff like that. Personally, I think they were mostly propaganda and bullshit. <laughs> really interesting. Uh, well, most of these things, most of these, uh, these uh, auto defenses sprouted up around places where there were there was illegal iron ore mining by the chinese happening that's all i'm going to say <laughs> um and a lot of these groups went away or people quickly realized that there was basically cartel guys running some of these auto defensive groups and a lot of leadership uh, was put in jail and stuff like that so and the regions where they sprouted up are worse now so you know think about that how you will but it's I didn't buy into the whole auto defenses thing, um, uh, but I, I saw. I, I mean, I realized why it was so romanticized and so uh, and, and portrayed like that in the media. Realistically, it was mostly bullshit. You know, unfortunate, uh, but good to know. Um, Ed, I won't keep you much longer, but I wanted to ask you one more thing about the uh, occult situation because that's something that I'm so fascinated in. Um, you know, maybe talk on that a bit. How how real is that amongst the cartels where they're like, you know, praying to certain saints and stuff like this? So I'll just a uh, quick story of, about me and how I got, I got re realized that was a thing. Mm -hmm. um, first, uh, first week I was working, uh, a lot of the, the, a lot of the older guys, when I say older guys, they were on the job for two years before I went in. So that's the length of their experience, but they were older. So uh, they grabbed me, took me out and told me, like, if you're going to work with us, you have to pray with us. Right. So I said, well, OK, So uh, they took me towards the cathedral uh, in the center of town. And then they took a uh, wrong turn. And I was like, where are we going? And I ended up in front of a Santa Marta shrine, um, basically a skeletal figure with a robe. And a bunch of candles and alcohol around it. Um, and um, these guys in front of me would just kneel down, turn on it, uh, uh, lit a candle, kneel down, and put some candles on it. And uh, one of them, you know, kicked me in, in the ass and told me to buy a candle and light it. So I bought a candle, lit it, and put it on there. And um, they told me that if, uh, you know, if I was going to ride with them, I was going to pray with them, right? So. That was my introduction to Santa Marta, basically. Um, you, you quickly realize that is the, the occult has a powerful hold over most of the people fighting in that uh, war down there. And what, what is Santa Marta for people that don't know? Santa Marta is basically old school death worship that made it all the way into modern times uh, by hiding within Catholic iconography. Uh, there's reports of it all the way back to the start of the, uh, the start of the past century um, of certain towns in central Mexico that had that worshiped skeletons like they had have skeletal figures or skeletons in their uh, in the corners of their houses 
usually pointed to, pointed towards the west, which is pretty telling. That's where the sun dies. Mm. Um, um, so it's basically a veneration of a de- uh, death goddess uh, from Aztec times. Um, why that survived all the way to our times, uh, it's pretty interesting. I don't, I don't know. Uh, but it basically got mixed in with a lot of uh, Catholic iconography. So in some places you would see a Virgin Mary shrine and behind her, you would see the skeletal figure behind her. So that's how people would hide the fact that they were praying to her. Um, and some of these, uh, some of these things at some point during the, 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 the early part of the uh, 20th century, Alistair Crawley uh, made oh, his yeah. way to Mexico, made his way to Mexico um, and spent some time in Mexico. And some of his, uh, ritual uh, magic kind of made it into it as well. So you see hints of it in some of the rituals that some of these uh, these uh, cults perform. Uh, Santa Muerte doesn't have, that doesn't uh, is is spread mouth to mouth, person to person. It's not something that uh, and now social media apparently is spreading it. Uh, but as a cult itself, it doesn't have like a central figure. So that's another way it survives, you know. And uh, different people practice it differently. Uh, some of the stuff that I got introduced into, as far as Santa Marta goes, uh, in northern Mexico, old school stuff. Uh, you could see weird kind of symbology in it, and uh, and how it, how its main kind of tenets are to be hidden and transmitted, you know? and how you are supposed to. You respect and help other members of the cult that are kind of initiated into it. It's like a very much like Mason, like Freemasonry uh, in, in a way. Um, so Santa Marta is basically that, you know, uh, it's a veneration of death. Um, uh, the reason why it's uh, why it's so popular amongst criminals and police, it's is because there's this weird, it's, it's a very specific saying in some of the older school circles of Santa Marta, death is on everybody's side. You know, that's one thing they say. Um, so, <laughs> so um, shrines of Santa Muerte or places of worship where Santa Muerte is worshipped are like no-go zones. So if you're a cartel guy and you see a cop there, or if you're a cop and you see a cartel guy, you can't do anything there. Really? Right. So it's like a sanctuary almost. Sanctuary, right? Yeah. So, so it's a, it, in, in different places they they treat it differently, but uh, it's interesting. It's just a you know, it's 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 yeah, it's, 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 it's it's an interesting belief, and I've been traveling throughout the U.S. and 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 doing classes all over the U.S. as well. I've seen Santa Muerte uh, churches and shrines up there as well, uh, but then some of them are like completely made up bullshit. As far as the, the stuff that I learned from Mexico, like this one in L.A., which is I don't recognize any of it. You know, <laughs> it's some like hipster made it probably. Yeah, yeah, it's a gentrified Santa Muerte stuff, and then <laughs> and then you see stuff like uh, Malverde. Uh, which is like a, a you see statues of him all over the place. It's very, it's uh, originated in Sinaloa. Uh, Malverde was is basically a Mexican version of uh, of Robin Hood. Um, uh, uh, beginning of, of, of beginning of the 20th century bandit that would rob from the rich in the area of Sin or surrounding Sinaloa and uh, disperse some of the, his winnings with the poor. That was a legend. He got a bounty placed on his head, a very substantial bounty. And when he realized that the uh, the uh, they were going to get him, he told his best friend to turn him in and get the bounty and disperse it on amongst the town that he grew up in. Oh wow! So he did that, and uh, 
uh, some of the people that did it that caught him and hung him got wind of it <coughs> and they forbid the townspeople from burying him so they hung him up on a tree and told everybody to leave him hanging there until his bones rotted away right so all the townspeople were like fuck you know this guy helped us and we're just gonna leave him hanging there mm. so the way they got around it is instead of burying him each of the townspeople picked up a rock and put it on top of his uh, body. So by the end of it, there was a mound of stones around his body. And uh, eventually that turned into a shrine. Eventually he started doing miracles for people. Um, and his bones were later moved to another shrine, which is a very like highly popular destination for cartel guys to go and leave offerings in Sinaloa. So that's another saint that kind of originated in Mexico as well. Um, there's a there's a, a very very powerful cult around San Judas uh, San Judas in, in Mexico as well. Um, it's 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 viewed as the you know patron saint of lost causes in most places in the world. Um, and in in Mexico City, there's a there's there's a there's a high deep veneration for him as well. Drug drug dealers, police, military guys. Um, uh, pray to pray to uh, the same saint, you know, and they have like truces every time there's like celebration around uh, around uh, the veneration of Jude, Saint Judas. Uh, everybody, all the criminals and the cops, you know, have a truce in the area, which is pretty fascinating as well. Um, and, and it's common throughout. It's the commonality I see throughout Mexico is that where cops and criminals basically pray to the same saints. Yeah, there's a picture of me recently trip I did to Mexico. I'm at a big Santa Marta shrine in, Mex uh, in, in, in Mexico City, around Mexico City. And when I was there, there was a federal, uh, there was uh, some federal cops outside of the shrine. You know, they just got done putting flowers on one of the shrines, and one of them recognized me uh, uh, from work way back when. And I took a picture with the guys uh, on top of their police cruiser, and like, hey, dude, want to you want to handcuff you in the back? It's like, nah, I'm fine, you know. Uh, but they were they were they were just got done praying there, and you know that's kind of the commonality how they how it's basically a duality like a weird pact between criminals and cops. They pray to the same saints, and then after that they go after each other. You know, it's fascinating. Um, in all of your experience and everything everything you've been doing out there, what do you think can actually? I don't want to say stop the cartels. I don't think that's possible at this stage. But what do you think can help? Uh, I mean categorizing certain drugs uh that aren't that horrible as legal uh, mm. as far as as personal consumption uh not just on the u.s side but also on the mexican side would be a thing that would help i think uh not full legalization which is different you know, categorizing a f some of the drugs that would help you know decriminalizing uh, decriminalizing it yeah i mean that's one thing that i think would 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 uh would put some momentum towards a solution of some sort. Uh, Americans need to stop thinking about the drug problem or the cartel problem as a Mexican problem. It's very much a regional problem with uh, roots and responsibilities on both sides of the border. Um, money, people making money off it and living in the U.S., uh, are not uh, not just Mexicans, but they're also U.S.-born people. Uh, weapons coming going down to Mexico 
and drugs coming up and people coming up from Mexico into the United States is a problem that both countries need to solve. And it is a problem, you know. I'm not I'm not about open borders in any way, shape, or form. Uh, I know they I know they have a they have a, there's a, there's a need for some of that, but there's communities like the one in, like Tijuana and San Diego are pretty. It's a pretty interesting kind of example of how that works. Uh, their economies are completely dependent on each other, and there's a border between them. But the people that live legally and work legally on both sides of that border have no problem with it. Now it's part of our, it's part of how we grew up, you know, and there's just no problem with it. It's a border there. We cross, it's fine. We do it legally. We have a, we get our passport, we cross, do our Christmas shopping over there. They come down here and get drunk or they enjoy some of the amazing street food. Um, <laughs> quick story, uh, met Anthony Bourdain once um, outside of a, uh, a chef convention, actually drove him down to Mexico. Uh, uh, on invitation from the uh, state government down, down, down in Baja. And he said uh, he was surrounded by the media and all these chefs uh, from San Diego behind him. And he was asked, what's the uh, best uh, culinary experience here in San Diego for people? And he said, well, cross the border into TJ and get a street and get some street food. That <laughs> was his answer, which was fucking brilliant. Um, but, uh, you know, the, 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 the border only, the border only, only is... Is, is an illusion to most people that are doing bad stuff you know uh if people are if people are crossing drugs through that border uh people are crossing guns through that border uh that's a crime but that border that wall is not going to stop that uh so other solutions have to be found that don't affect law-abiding people that cross that border for work or for pleasure every day uh and we're completely mutually dependent the United States' second largest consumer of, of American products, Mexico. Uh, we have now the largest mineable source of lithium found in Sonora, in the world. In the world. The largest mineable lithium deposit on the planet is in Sonora, where the recent Mormon killings happened. And you don't think the terrorist designation thing is something to do with that? Well, you know, I'll, I'll just, I'll just, I'll just throw that one out there. There are no WMDs in Mexico. Yeah, I'll just throw that one out there, and uh, and that happened. That that happened. Uh, that's not a. That's not. Uh, it's a new revelation as far as it's recently been uh, known. Uh, but some of the mining rights to that uh, lithium have were sold by the past administration to a Canadian company that has now been bought up by a Chinese company. So, again, regionally, the United States and the people of the United States have to realize that Mexico as a country uh, is very important to their survival <laughs> in a lot of ways. And keeping it stable. Uh, keeping it uh, prosperous and trying to come up with a way for it to not keep going the way it's going is just good all around for everybody. Uh, if they don't do it, China's going to do it. And good luck with that. Yeah, good luck with having China on your doorstep and cartels. Yeah. Um, Ed, um, if people want to get hold of you, uh, where can they do that? Where can they look at your work? Where's the best uh, place? Uh, I guess the Instagram, right? Currently, my my uh, be the best platform is Instagram. Uh, Facebook is dying out, so I'm mostly posting on Instagram now. 
Uh, also, EdsManifesto.com. I have a blog there. I have a lot of the uh, training engagements uh, posted on there as well. Um, look me up on YouTube. There's a bunch of interviews I've, I have all over the place on there as well if they want to learn a bit more. And uh, yeah, just uh, follow follow along. And the um, the Instagram is is at Ed's Manifesto, right? Yeah, I'm shadow banned, so you're gonna have to type that whole thing on there at Ed's Manifesto and or at Ed's Manifesto Two uh, is the other one I have as a backup. I'm aware you're shadow banned as well. You know, we are yeah. the League of Sh- We are apparently we are the League of Shadows. That's how you know a fucking Instagram account is good when it's shadow banned. <laughs> yeah, if you can't find it in the yeah, naughty so corner. We to, yeah, we have to start a fucking uh, uh, like an Instagram club. Just call us the League of Shadows. I like it. All right, Ed. Thank you very much, man. I really appreciate you taking your time out to do this. Sorry it took so long. Oh, I, I get it, man. I get it. Um, uh, thank you. And uh, you run a great fucking Instagram account. I love it. I follow it. Uh, I like I like uh, I like the the exposure you give to different conflicts around the world, and hopefully this will help uh, a few people out there understand the conflict that is going on in Mexico. Absolutely, man. Thank you very much, Ed. Have a good day. That was Ed Calderon of Ed's Manifesto. Uh, definitely do check his Instagram out. It's so interesting. He's constantly putting up things there from the drug war in Mexico that you're just not going to find anywhere else. Um, Always on the ground, like he said, he's out there at least uh, once a month. Also, do check out um, Dimola as well. Uh, It's Mexican news and like history uh, on Instagram. Uh, It's spelled D-E-M-O-L-E-R and with an underscore. Yeah, check them out as well. Doing a you know similar thing to what. Ed is doing, I guess. But yeah, uh, Ed's Manifesto, Dimola, very, very good. If you like what we're doing at Popular Front, please do consider supporting us on the Patreon. The bigger the Patreon gets, the more everybody gets from Popular Front. It's at patreon.com slash popular front. There are bonus episodes, access to the Discord, all sorts of stuff on there for very little a month, and it helps us keep growing. Also, you can buy our merchandise, uh, www.popularfront.shop. We've got loads of stuff there, um, the champion windbreaker, t-shirt, the hoodie, and it's not like shitty teespring type stuff. It's all proper um, ships from Europe and the USA, popularfront.shop. This episode was sponsored by the defensepost.com, defense with an S. Check them out for regular updates on the world at war. And by the way, if you do want to sponsor episodes of Popular Front and you're not like some kind of money grabbing corporation, you know, if you're an independent business um, and you like what we're doing, you know, maybe you want to sponsor, do get in touch. Uh, Jake at hanrahan.tv, that's my email. Let me know. Um, You know, our rates are definitely fair. Um, We've had a few people ask at the minute, so I'm starting to think like, yeah, if they're independent, we should do that, you know, like help everybody grow um, and help ourselves grow, of course. So yeah, let me know. And obviously, if you're like a big business trying to sell bed sheets or underwear or fucking, we had a jewel try to, you know, like fuck off, don't bother. But if you're an independent, I don't know, coffee shop, whatever you're doing, I know like Norarm Tactical is something we're going to be, you know, doing at some point. So yeah, like I said, get in touch, Jake at Hanrahan. TV. If you want to follow us on Instagram, uh, we do regular, regular updates on there about the world at war, v- 
various weird shit, you know, related to Popular Front, funny stuff as well. You know, like I said, we, we do serious work. We don't take ourselves too serious. Uh, go to Instagram.com slash popular dot front. You'll have to type the whole thing in because as Ed said, we are shadow band just like him. Um, our backup is popularfront.co, which is just like the website. Um, popularfront.co, you'll find everything there, articles, podcast episodes, um, yeah, and like it's the landing page basically. Someone said to me the other day, like, oh, why'd you have a website that's old school? Like, fucking hell, mate. Like, really? Like, why not? So, anyway, yeah, so we got that. Uh, Twitter, it's at uh, popularfrontco, or my Twitter is Jake underscore Hanrahan, H A N R A H A N. Subscribe on the YouTube, that's youtube.com slash popularfront. Uh, you'll have to subscribe and hit the bell. Um, what else? Yeah, that's everything, I think. Thank you very much to the following uh, Patreons. Thank you to Anthony Kabarik, Adam Bergsnyder, Andrew Hurley, Axel Iverson, Azad, Brian McLaughlin, Chad Walker, Christopher Martin, Craig Miller, Dan Dunham, Daniel Shearer, Diana Gorvenek, E. Louise Larson, Emiliano, Emily Molly, Fletcher Tate, Frank Austin, Jack Mayhoff, James from the Discord, Joanne Stocker, Joel Tambusi, Josh, Juan Hernandez, K. Hadi Roberts, Lawrence Abrahams, LH, Lee Kamadik, Moody Al Rashid, Noah, Ari from Discord, Patrick Bronte, Peter McCormack from What Bitcoin Did, Cuball, Russia Alakidi, Rohan Obare, Rubicon, Ryan Sandercock, Skatoon Music, Scott Jonesy, Sebastian from the Discord, Sentry, Sarushe Hawazi, Stephen Davila, STV, Tom Lochrin, Tony Bin, Abida Provost, and Zachary Hinch. Thank you very, very much. Really appreciate all the support. Um, and like I said, if, if people want to see this, keep moving forward, keep going. Um, support us at patreon.com slash popular front. We're trying to keep this completely, well, not trying, we are keeping this completely grassroots. No corporate funding, no bullshit, no fucking weird government funding or Kremlin funding like fucking Redfish um, yeah 100% independent patreon.com slash popular front music in this episode the intro was by home and the outro was by Sam Black also known as son of old his soundcloud is soundcloud.com slash son dash of dash old